Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, we begin the very first Sunday of Lent. And how appropriate this gospel story. This is a classical story that really sets the tone for this season of Lent. It's the story about Jesus going out into the desert and battling the devil. Now, notice how it begins. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Now, I would argue temptation is not always a bad thing. I'll say that again. Temptation is not always a bad thing because it's precisely in our resistance to it, in our struggle with temptation, that we come to know who we are. And part of knowing who we are is knowing who we are not. And see, that's what we see in this gospel story. Jesus, he flees into the desert. And in this battle, we discover who he truly is. Now, if you look throughout sacred scripture, up and down the Bible, you see prominent figures also spending time in the desert. Why is that? Well, in sacred scripture, the desert is a very spiritually charged place. It's where great things happen to people. It's where people change, change for the better. The desert represents a stripping away of a person. The time that they spend in the desert is a period of cleansing for them. The desert is a place where you come to know the basic fundamental aspects of life. You discover not only your strengths, but also your weaknesses. And therefore, we see figures throughout sacred scripture doing just that, entering the desert. And in doing so, their lives changed forever. Look at Abraham. He pulls up stakes. He packs up everything, including his family. And he travels from Ur, which is present-day Iraq, all the way to the promised land in Israel. But in order for him to get there, he must pass through the desert. And in the desert, he establishes the covenant with God. How about Elijah? He walks 40 days and 40 nights in the desert until he comes to Mount Sinai, where he encounters the Lord. Look at Moses. Moses, after killing an Egyptian official, flees into the desert and spends many years there as a shepherd and ultimately encounters God in the form of the burning bush. How about Paul in the New Testament? St. Paul, after his encounter and his conversion on the road to Damascus, he doesn't immediately become an apostle. No, instead he flees into the Arabian desert and stays there for three years before he finally makes his way back to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. The desert is a spiritually charged place. It's a place where there are no distractions, where you have to be able to focus all of your attention on God. Therefore, as we begin this great season of Lent, 
we too must go out into our own spiritual desert. We must free ourselves of all distractions and now focus our life on God. Now, the devil tempts Jesus with these three temptations that are essentially basic to our human nature. And yet, if you notice, each temptation corresponds to the topography of where Jesus is. Say, for example, the first temptation. Jesus right now is standing on the floor of the desert. Therefore, the first temptation tells us that this is a low-level temptation. Remember, Jesus has fasted for 40 days, and now he's starving. We all would be. Well, this temptation is for the basic, low-level, you know, human aspects of our nature, the desire of or to be satisfied from our hunger. And yet, it's still a powerful temptation. This temptation really focuses on the material goods that we use to satisfy our bodily desires, the desires of food and drink, pleasure and entertainment. Now, are all these things bad for us? Should we avoid them all? No. In fact, they're good. They're gifts given to us by God. We should enjoy them. As I've said before, we're Catholics. We're not Puritans. Food, drink, entertainment, they're all good in of themselves. But when they become the ultimate good in our life, the moment they become the center of our life, then we're in big trouble. St. Anselm gives us a wonderful analogy. He says, the bodily desires that we have for food, drink, pleasure, entertainment, whatever it is, they're like children, very insistent. They know what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And therefore, as these persistent children, they pressure and they demand and they badger their parents. Now, any parent knows if they indulge this child every time and all the time, pretty soon that child will be running the house rather than the parents. Well, St. Anselm says, says that is exactly what happens with these bodily desires. If we allow them to dominate us, if we indulge in them all the time, every time, then pretty soon they are going to be running the house. In our case, the house of our soul. Now, how does Jesus answer the devil? He says, it is written, one does not live on bread alone. Essentially, what he's saying is we cannot base our life on these basic bodily temptations. We can't allow these temptation for bodily desires to be the sole determining element of our lives. Next, it says, then he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. Now, realize where we've been. We went from the desert floor. Now we go up to a place where Jesus can see all the kingdoms, which means what? Now this is a higher temptation. This is a temptation that is greater and harder to resist. It's the temptation of power. You see this throughout world history. People tempted by power. Power in of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing at all. It's deeply alluring. But when it becomes the ultimate good in our life, when we make it the center of our life, then our lives truly become corrupt. Again, you see this in the lives of Alexander the Great, Caesar, Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler, all seduced by power, all led corrupt lives. 
Now, power, it has such a desire to dominate. You know, it's interesting. Most people that are seduced by power rise above the first temptation. In fact, they don't care about bodily desires. They kind of leapfrog over the first temptation because they're consumed by power, not just having it, but also controlling it. Now, notice the other detail that the devil says, something that is deeply disturbing. The devil said to Jesus, I shall give to you all this power and glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I may give it to whomever I wish. Now, that's deeply disturbing. More to it, it's a stunning indictment about the powers of our world. This is why when one person rises to a position of power, it doesn't have to be a person that controls a nation. No, it can be any position of power at work, the position we hold in our family, maybe with friends and societies, clubs that we belong to. There's always that temptation to dominate. St. Augustine refers to it as the libido dominante, the lust to dominate. How does Jesus respond? He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. Regardless of how seductive power is, it's not worth the price of our soul. If we make power the center of our life, then we have to worship the devil, which is the loss of our soul. If having power means we have to surrender ourselves to Satan, it's not worth it. In fact, there's only one person that we have to surrender to. And that's God and God alone. Now, the last temptation, it says, Then he led Jesus up to Jerusalem, made him stand on the parapet of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. This third temptation. Now, notice where we've been. We've gone from the lowest place, which is the ground floor of the desert, up to a place where Jesus could see all the kingdoms. Now we're up at the highest place in all of the world. Realize Jerusalem is a city built on a mountain. In the city, the temple is the tallest structure. The parapet is the roof of the temple. Jesus is literally standing in the tallest place in all of the world. The temple is the center of Jewish life. It's the political, the economic, and the religious epicenter for the entire country. To be on the parapet on top is to be on top of the Jewish life, the place of greatest glory and honor. Now, this temptation, it's not about bodily desires. It's not about power. Instead, it's the temptation of glory, satisfying the ego. I've often said, your life is not about you. Your life is not about your desires, satisfying your wants, your needs, your expectations, your pleasures. Instead, your life is about you in relationship with God and living out that relationship and your faith every day of your life to the best of your abilities. In fact, the hallmark of discipleship is not satisfying your desires and your wants and your needs, and everyone else comes second. No, at the heart of discipleship is just the opposite, putting the needs of others before our own, in service to others as well as to God in this world, just like Jesus did throughout his entire life and ministry here. See, this is the reason why Lent is a time in which we now, like Christ, must go out into our own spiritual desert, face down the temptations of our life. How do we do it? 
by getting back to the basics, praying every day, going to Mass every weekend, confessing your sins, praying the Stations of the Cross, fasting, abstaining. When we do this, we see the temptations in our life, and we see them for what they are. And then we reach out to Christ for help. And just as Jesus soundly defeated the temptations in the gospel, so now he stands shoulder to shoulder with us, and he helps us defeat our temptations so that at the end of the season of Lent, now we are spiritually stronger people. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.